This past week has been challenging, to say the least, for those in Florida. But there's something special that that happens in the midst of catastrophe. I don't know if you have seen any of the footage, if you've seen any of the things that are taking place in Florida with Hurricane Ian, but it's pretty incredible to watch how people have stepped up in the midst of what could be challenging for their own life and situation to rescue people. We've got our fire departments who go out and rescue people. We've got neighbors and friends and strangers who go to people who get stranded in their cars and who go and, and do whatever it takes to rescue them out of the midst of this horrendous storm. Well, I was reading about one person in particular, Kevin, He was planning to weather the storm himself. He lived right where the storm was going to hit. And he said, you know what? I've been through other storms and I'm going to weather this out myself. I'll just stay here and I'll be fine. But then he got a call from his children's grandmother. And she said, we're not going to make it. Things are getting bad. The water is rising. We're up in the upstairs. In fact, before long, they were in the upstairs and they smelled gas up there. So they were actually moved back down into the living room and they were in the living room floating in a canoe in the front of their house. And they're texting him saying, we're not going to make it. So he tried to drive there in his truck. And as he's driving in his truck, he said at one point his truck started to float and he said, this isn't going to work out. So he went back And he went and he took his friend's pontoon boat and he dumped it on the street. Now, I don't know how his friend felt about this, but here's some images of this pontoon boat going down the street. And as he's headed to rescue his children's grandmother, he sees other people in need. And something stirs his heart and he says, I can't just boat past other people to save my family while others are going to die. And so he's pulling the boat over and he's rescuing person after person as they go along. And before long, Kevin has filled his boat with 16 people. He was maxed out and he said, finally I had to drive past other people because I got everybody possible into my boat, including my children's grandmother and all my grandkids, or all my my children. You know, that heart to rescue, that heart to make a difference, it stirs each of us. We love to hear stories. We love in the midst of chaos to see that there's somebody trying to make a difference, trying to bring order and beauty in the midst of confusion. And that's actually the picture that we get when we're reading the book of Daniel. You can pull out your Bibles and go to Daniel chapter 9 with us. And we're going to look real fast at how suddenly in the book of Daniel we find a word appearing that has been there in principle earlier, but did not appear until Daniel chapter 9. And it is the word covenant. It's an interesting Hebrew word. But Daniel chapter 9 and verse 4, when Daniel goes to make his confession to God, and we talked about how he acknowledged all these grand things about God, the very first thing after saying that God is great and awesome, he said, who keeps His covenant. The action that that he first capitalizes on and points to in his confession about God is he keeps his covenant. And then in Daniel chapter 9, he's given this vision and he's told that Messiah shall come in verse 26 and 27. Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. That word for covenant actually means to be cut, to be cut 
uh, is the idea there. So Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And we looked at how this is evidenced on the cross, self-sacrificing love, and that even the very year was pinpointed for this to take place. Then it says, he shall confirm a covenant with many, and he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And after this, suddenly, we see an explosion of the word covenant in Daniel chapter 11. 11 verse 22, we're going to find out that here we can say, here is Jesus. Amidst all these details about history, here is Jesus. 11.22 says, the prince of the covenant will be broken. He's cut off, but not for himself. He will be broken. And then it gives us a picture that there's a great controversy that is being raging, is raging and it is raging over this covenant. Daniel 11 verse 28 says there's a power that is moved against the holy covenant. Verse 30 says that this power has rage against the holy covenant and against those, and it calls those who forsake the holy covenant. And then verse 32 says it does wickedly against the covenant. But then it goes on to say, but in contrast to those who do wickedly against the covenant, the, the antithesis of that is but those who what? Those who know their God, they know what he's like. They recognize who he is. Those who know their God will be strong and carry out great exploits. So this is a foundational thing that we need to understand coming to Daniel chapter 11, and that is simply this. What is the covenant? What is this all about? So let's go back to the beginning of the Bible. We could go back a little bit earlier, but we're just going to go to Genesis chapter 3. If you went to Genesis chapter 1, you'd find that there's a trinity that is acting. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have covenanted together to create man in their own image. There's a, a love covenant that, that, that it takes the form of creating other beings who can love. But this love is resisted by Eve and then by Adam in Genesis chapter 3. And so we find that Adam and Eve are trying to cover up their nakedness. They're, they're putting fig leaves on. They're, they hear Jesus or they hear God walking in the midst of the garden. And when they hear him walking, they're going and they're hiding, not wanting to be in his presence. And then Genesis 3 tells us that they are pointing at each other. Adam says, it was the woman. And then she says, well, it's the serpent. And you have the first family conflict, the first marriage that's on the rocks. And it was the first marriage. So don't feel bad if your marriage has had some challenges. Um, But in the midst of this, he did it, she did it, pointing and criticizing others. God shows up and he points the finger at the serpent. And the first time that the promise is given, the covenant comes. When you think of the word covenant, you can think of the word promise. You know, in modern terms, when we talk about covenant, usually it's only used in modern terms maybe for like a a marriage. And when you stand at the altar and you say, until death do us part and sickness and in health, I'm going to be here for you no matter what. This, This first promise of God's faithfulness is given with Adam and Eve over here cowering and pointing the fingers at each other and, and God doesn't even talk to them at first. He's talking to the serpent himself and points the finger at the serpent and says, you know what? I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. 
God says, I'm going to step in and I'm going to solve this great controversy problem and I'm going to do it by crushing the serpent's head and in the process, the heel of the one who crushes him will be bruised. So this is the the first picture that we have of a promise, a covenant given to humanity. But then we go on to Genesis chapter 6 and we find Noah. And now we find that violence has multiplied on the planet and God has to come up with a solution. And he comes to Noah and he says, I'm going to have to send a flood. But I'm going to put a covenant with you and with your family and with everybody who's willing to get on the ark. And then at the end of the flood, he makes a covenant with a rainbow saying, I'm never going to flood the planet again. And then in Genesis chapter 12, he picks Abraham and says, Hey, Abraham, you who are uh, uh, settled here in, in, in Ur, you need to, to move to the promised land. And I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And I'm going to multiply your descendants. And then he runs off to Egypt and kind of gets distracted. But then eventually God comes and tells him in Genesis chapter 15, Look at the stars. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as those stars. And then he has him cut the animals in two, and God himself passes between those animals, symbolizing this covenant that may God be ripped in two if this covenant is not fulfilled. Then we have the the covenant in Exodus chapter 19, where God takes his special people and he takes them out of Egypt They weren't asking, I mean, they they weren't even recognizing that God could do this, and they were protesting the whole way, but God drug them out of Egypt. And then he gives them the covenant. You know when Moses goes up on the mountain, and he takes the rock that God has given, and God writes it, he writes the words of the covenant. We call them the Ten Commandments today. The Bible calls them the words are the tablets of the covenant that were placed in the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. A picture of how God had set them free and the first commandment starts with, you were slaves, but I have rescued you out of slavery. And then it goes into, how do you stay free? You love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And this is all framed in the positive, in a promise. You know, We read the Ten Commandments, and we see that old-fashioned word, shall, and we take it as, this is what I am going to have to do. But notice, it's a promise. This is what you will do based upon the righteousness of the God who sets you free. It's incredibly good news, this covenant. Um, And then we go on. Oh, the last one didn't pop up. I'm sorry. So the last one actually is in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where David is king, and uh, he's, he's at wanting to build a temple for God. He's like, you're living in this tabernacle, in this tent in the wilderness, but I'm living in a cedar palace. It's not fair, and so I'm going to build a, a temple. And Nathan the prophet comes and says, yeah, that's a good idea. And he's walking away, and God says, no, that's not a good idea. <laughs> so he comes back, and later we learn that that's because David had shed so much blood. But God tells him, I'm going to set one of your children on the throne. One of your princes will sit on the throne forever and ever. And David is so amazed by this. He says, I went into the temple and I just sat in God's presence. And I said, who am I that you should be this good to me? 
So we see these covenants going on, and, and Isaiah describes what this covenant was, was the motivating factor, what it was encompassing, what it really was in Isaiah chapter 50. Oh, now it popped up. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. He's been saying how you're going to, to drink of things that don't satisfy, but drink of the water of life. And then notice how he describes the covenant. And I will make with you an what type of covenant? Everlasting covenant. This is the covenant that has always existed and that always will exist. An everlasting covenant, what is it defined as? My steadfast, sure love for David. You want to know what it means that I've made a covenant with each and every person of humanity? It means that I will love you like I love David. And you see, we've got to, 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 to understand that it's his chesed love, his steadfast love, that is covenant-keeping, that, that will love us no matter what, that, that all of God's actions and feelings towards you are birthed out of his chesed love, his faithful, steadfast, covenant-keeping love. If you doubt it, let's go look at the story again real quick. You remember that the serpent had deceived them and the, the promise is given And what happens in the very next chapter? Eve has Cain and says, the Lord has has granted me to have a man, the Lord. And she thinks that she's had the Messiah, the one that's going to crush the serpent. And then she has Abel. And then the family goes into chaos once again. And Cain kills Abel. And the covenant is broken. Then you go to Noah. Noah. Noah is rescued from this flood that sees the incredible rainbow, and then he grows his, 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 his uh, grapes in his vineyard, and he gets drunk, and he's laying in his tent naked, and the shameful thing goes on with one of his sons in his tent. And again, there's chaos within the family. Things are not going the way that God intended. The covenant of steadfast love is broken. Abraham, he's given this incredible promise about what God's going to do in chapter 15. In chapter 16, Sarah's like, we don't have kids yet. And this promise needs to be fulfilled. So go get Hagar. And Abraham's like, okay, sure. And he takes, Ab- he takes Hagar as his wife. And then he's pleading with God, may Ishmael live before you the next time that God's trying to tell him what the covenant is all about. Humanity just doesn't get it time and time again. You and I, naturally, our default position is to think that we accomplish the covenant. The children of Israel, they say, all that you have said, we're going to do it, Moses. And then Moses goes up on the mountain, gets the tablets of the covenant, and he's coming back down and he hears the noise. And he looks and there they are having a party around a golden calf saying, this is what delivered us from Egypt. And he takes the tablets that represented God's faithful love and that covenant and he takes it and he smashes it to represent that they had just broken the covenant. What about David? (laughs) David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is promised that he'll have an heir that will sit on the throne forever and ever. By chapter 11, he's taking Bathsheba and murdering one of his soldiers. And then we get to Solomon, and you look at Solomon, and Solomon is multiplying horses and wives and money. The, the first prince to sit on David's throne, maybe he's the one, but he's doing all the opposites of what the law of Moses had said that he was to do. He wasn't to multiply horses as one of the kings. He wasn't 
to, to multiply wives, and he had hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines. And he multiplied silver and gold so much that it was like pebbles in the street. He was violating the covenant. You see, the story of the Bible is the fact that God makes promise after promise to you and me, to all of humanity, and we break it time and time and time and time again. And he goes ahead and he keeps making more promises. Just look at this in Isaiah chapter 42. This is a promise about Messiah the Prince, the Prince of the Covenant. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will hold your hand. Talking about how the Father is going to hold Jesus by the hand in his ministry. It says, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. You see, Jesus himself is the covenant. He is the faithful human being who lived a faithful covenant-keeping life. He loved everybody around him, every single family dynamic. No matter how somebody treated him, he always acted towards them with faithful love, watching out for the relationship, doing everything possible to treat others the way that they deserve to be treated. And he faithfully loved God every day of his life. He was the human being who finally lived out covenant-keeping love. And he was also God in human flesh who had come down for you and for me. said, I can't live without them. I'm going all the way to the point of the death of the cross for them. And I will be cut off. I will experience that rending from God in that experience on the cross, I will be the one who says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is a light to the Gentiles. It draws all people to the precious, steadfast love of God. Isaiah 49 says the same thing. I will preserve you, talking about the Messiah, Jesus, and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to to stop the chaos and the madness, to help people love again to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. Daniel 9, we saw it. Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. As we celebrate communion today, that's what the, the bread and the grape juice represents, that Jesus, when he was faced with a choice to come down off the cross or to save you, he said, I'm staying here. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I will go to the very end I will not stop loving them. You can be, count on this. He will love you to the very, very end. He shall confirm a covenant with many on the cross. He's confirming the covenant, and through that, he put an end to sacrifice and offerings. The whole purpose of that was to point us to know who God is. Well, one particular reporter in Orlando was covering the weather. You know, they have an exciting job, don't they? They get to stand out in hurricane force winds and, and tell us what the Hurricane Ian is doing right now on the streets of Orlando. Well, as he was out there, suddenly he saw this car. And as he saw this car, he realized that the woman was stuck inside. And so he went to rescue her out of the car. And here's the thing. How much work is she doing to get through that water right now? She's hanging on to him. (laughs) He's hanging on to her and her purse. And he's carrying her out of that water. 
You can see the joy in her face. And, and here, just, just listen to what she has to say about this stranger who stepped in to help he her. He was there for me when I needed him. He's my knight in shining armor. <laughs> you know, he, he was there to rescue me. He's my knight in shining armor. He was there to rescue me. She was a nurse on the way to the hospital on that evening to, to work her shift. The, the water, it was dark, and she couldn't see where she was going, and she got stuck in the water. And somebody rescued her out of the water. And I have to recognize, you have to recognize, that it's Jesus who carries us out of the mess that we're in. I love how it says uh, this in uh, Faith and Works, page 18. It says, There is not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently, or established more firmly in the minds of all. That sounds like a really important point, doesn't it? It needs to, a point that needs to be dwelt upon the most earnestly, repeated more frequently, needs to be talked about often in church. Sometimes we think, oh, you're talking about this too often. Needs to be repeated the most frequently or established more firmly in the minds of all than the impossibility of fallen man meriting anything by his own best good works. Salvation is through faith. In Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is at the center of it all. He is the one who will carry us through. And that's why we see him loving to the very end. Because he is the covenant. With the disciples in John chapter 13, you find him before the feast of Passover. Chapter 13 and verse 1. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, the hour that was predicted by Daniel chapter 9, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He just couldn't stop loving humanity. That's who God is. And until I grasp that, just like Daniel, I'm going to be incapable of standing in his presence. But like Daniel, we saw last week in Daniel chapter 10, 90 years of faithfulness, being able to go through the, 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 the lion's den. He was faithful to God, but he needed to know you are greatly beloved. And he needed to be encouraged and lifted up by heaven. We need to know that he will love us to the very end. And then he practically demonstrates what he had been living out every day of his life as he washed his disciples' dirty feet and dried them, showing them what the love of God is like. Friends, we've got to just keep looking to the cross. It is absolutely everything for us. Steps to Christ, page 27, says it this way, the sinner may resist this love, may refuse to be drawn to Christ, but if he does not resist, he will be drawn to Christ. Our part is to not resist. You think you can do that? You think you can open your heart and allow this love to draw you? Stop trying like Abraham to do it on your own. Stop trying like each and every person in the covenant who broke the covenant tried to do it in their own strength and allow Jesus to carry you through. Today, we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We're going to do that by doing what Jesus said. He said, I have washed your feet, demonstrating to you practically that, that you should live out a life of benefiting other people, of serving other people. 
And when we go through the act of foot washing, it reminds us of two things. One, that Jesus is washing and cleansing us today. And we can accept that forgiveness and confess all our sins and allow him to wash it all away. But two, it reminds us that we are called to love like Jesus loves and to serve people, not just to wash people's feet when the communion service happens, but to go and to minister to people's practical needs just like Jesus did. Father, thank you that though we were weak and helpless and in our sin, that you willingly gave your Son, that Jesus, you came down here to show us the covenant, to live it out, to actually become our covenant, our surety, our hope, the alpha and the omega, the beginning of our faith, and the only one who can finish our faith. Oh Jesus, may we not just remember you right now, but may we remember you day in and day out, moment by moment. May we remember that you're the one who carries us out of the flood of the chaos of this world. That you're the covenant-keeping one. That you are the faithful one who will never, ever fail us. That you will love us to the very end. Thank you for the cross that helps us to know this reality. May it become a reality in our hearts. And may we live to serve others the way that you serve us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.